0: Uh, for peace in our nation Uh, because I, I maybe this in part is just to some degree my own personal cynicism but I believe that that we are a nation that is collectively losing its mind as we are under the influence of people who think it is our best interest to remain tuned to the news and they fire up the anger of Americans, Uh, there is something to be angry about here. Uh, And that is that someone in the name of Christianity, they would say, uh, decided to ram their car into human beings. Uh, I say we look to the founder of our faith. Jesus says, to us in effect by his example that Christianity does not change the world by killing Jesus brings life to his enemies by dying and we ought to seek in all frames of reference in every place where we are to care for and love people who are not like us and not resort to violence Now this is a complex situation and there is a lot going on and I'm bothered by people who write page upon page of analysis of something that just happened a few hours ago. I think that's foolish but I think that what we can pray for is that people would stop yelling at one another and that they would start seeking to understand one another and that they would do that in peace without violence. So we're gonna pray uh, children are going to be dismissed back to Praise Factory, and then we're going to um, read Scripture. Why don't we do this? Why don't we do it this way? How about children are dismissed back to Praise Factory? You guys can go. And uh, that, is the, that is the permission to go. And we're going to turn and we're going to read uh, from Galatians chapter 6, uh, starting in uh, verse 1. We'll read to verse 2 and then we're going to pray and we'll turn to God's word the scriptures say this brothers if anyone is caught in any transgression you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is God's word to us today. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We come in a time of... Perceived need. Uh, We come in, in a time of national frustration and pain and grieving and mourning. And we have family members in our church who are grieving personal losses. We have family members in our church who are sick. We have family members in our church who are anxious about what the future may the truth is that we depend on you each and every moment we need you our nation is frustrated and angry right now because it has neglected your ways and chooses to solve problems with anger and violence instead of seeking to love across differences We pray that you would help us to take a long, hard look at your example. You gave your life for your enemies. That's all of us at the start. It's true that we become your children by your saving grace and by faith, but we were your enemies. The scripture says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we pray that we would apply the gospel and demonstrate the same love that same care to those who differ from us no matter what our political persuasion or opinion about present politics we pray that we would act on what the scripture says that what matters is faith working through love and so we pray for peace and for kindness to prevail and that reason would shine through father we pray as we turn to your word that you would help us to understand your will for us it is so easy because of our experience with other human beings to get wrapped up in this idea that if we obey you you will be pleased with us but that could not be farther from the truth you save us by the grace of your character You save us because Jesus went to the cross having lived a perfect life and that brings sin purifying sin canceling grace into the world and by faith we're saved not because of what we do obedience then becomes a matter of walking in your ways and according to your will because of what you've done for us but not to earn your affection. And so we pray that you would help us to see your heart, to see your ways and to see what is most important to you and that we would rejoice in it and we would apply it and we would go in a way and live in a way rather that pleases you. We pray your grace and kindness on our time in your word. We pray that you'd speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, with the ability to watch television at any time through uh, something like Netflix, um, we, uh, we, have, we have moved into the era of binge television where you can uh, watch an entire series and so uh, one of the safe places for us on television has been uh, watching cooking reality shows and I am into cooking reality shows my kids initially were into them and so we watched shows like chopped right where you've got three uh, uh, contestants who can cook or maybe they think that they can cook competing and, and doing different recipes and and slowly but surely they get chopped because they weren't up to the mark. And uh, then there's the show Cutthroat Kitchen, right? Where uh, the contestants on this show use their prize money that they're given in advance and they buy ways of sabotaging their opponents. Like you can now only cook over an open fire or you can only cook with one hand, right? Or you have to swap ingredients with somebody else. Other shows like that. And the level of competition on those shows is is fierce. You know, you you get interested in in seeing your person win and then you watch these people inflict uh, difficulty on one another. Cooking shows, so many things can go wrong. An otherwise competent uh, chef can crack under the pressure. They make these major mistakes. They run into the pantry and they forget to get an essential ingredient or they use the wrong ingredient. Uh, strange rules govern things. If you've watched much reality TV, maybe you've even heard the contestants say things like, "I didn't come here to make friends. I came here to win." Think about that. If you can, you can watch this what's called a supercut video on YouTube, right? Where you just just look up supercut. "I didn't come here to make friends," and it's like five minutes of people saying, "I didn't come here to make friends." You know, I came here to win. When in the world has anybody ever said that until reality television was invented, right? It's a strange setup that we're, we're seeing here. There's this nasty drama between contestants caught on film, and in many reality shows, that drama becomes what we're supposed to consume. And then Nancy and I discovered the great British baking show, which is... Amazing. The hosts, uh, Mary Berry, who I wish was my grandma. Like I, m- both of, of my uh, my grandmas have gone on, and I just wish. Like, could I please just just have a surrogate grandma in, in her? Uh, she says uh, her one of her catchphrases when they when they make a pie. She'll say, and it's very important, you know, that the crust be, be thick. You know, and, and not soggy because nobody likes a soggy bottom. And that's as that's as uh that's as that's as dark as it gets. <laughs> Paul Paul Hollywood, uh, Paul Hollywood is the other host, and he is like the Christian version of Gordon Ramsay. I don't know about the actual ma- the man's actual faith, but a Christian can enjoy this guy, because when he brings criticism, he uh, he's not like Gordon Ramsay, who says things like, get out of my kitchen, or my dog could make a better meal than you. Paul Hollywood says things like, he gives them this stern look, and you can see their them, the, the, the contestants struggling and withering under his gaze and then he says things like I wish I could have tasted more lemon <laughs> he says the cake is quite dry it's disappointing or he says something like your skill level just isn't there sorry and that's it, that's as, as, as hard as it gets and then there's the two hosts, Mel and Sue who, who are there uh, just just uh, interacting with the contestants, not driving them, not creating pressure and tension, but just leading and guiding them along. It is wonderful. So if you've not seen it yet, let me just explain the show to you. And if you have seen it, you're like, yes, because we are everywhere watching this show and we love it for all of its awesomeness. But let me just review. The show consists of three opportunities to bake. They're in a tent the judges come in and they will consume and then judgment is pronounced. And so we're gonna do the Great Harvest Baking Show this morning. Uh, my, only, my only sadness is that I do not have any actual cooking products, you know, baked products to hand out to you, I'm sorry. Oh, you can, you can, you can pass it around if you like, feel free. Um, this is not staged, it is not arranged. So, so here's the way the show goes. First, they, the contestants go through something called the signature bake, right? Which is they come in prepped and ready, and they're making a dish which is their specialty in the particular category. So if it's breads or pastries or cakes, they are baking this pre-planned specialty of theirs. They also bake crackers. Yes, that's true. Um, so uh, what is the Christian's specialty. It's grace. It's grace. People are to be the object of our love and care and affection. When they're people that we love, yes. When they are our enemies, yes. When things go horribly wrong, yes. That is what Christians are called to do by the Lord Jesus. Now, here's what Mel and Sue do. They hand out the assignment, and then they say, ready, set, bake. Yes, very good. Um, I, have a co- I have a co-host with me this morning. That's totally fine. Uh, so so, so we're, we're now saying, okay, we're to live by grace and to love people in a gracious way, to love them even when things go wrong. Look at what Galatians 6.1 says. This is the recipe. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Those are the guidelines. That is what we are supposed to carry out and fulfill in the world. So, brothers, Paul says, so he's speaking to believers brethren, yes, the, the word there could also be translated sistrin, depending on the audience, so it's, it's brothers and sisters, this is to all believers, he says, if anyone interesting thing about the Greek word anyone, is when you translate it and dig into the original meaning it means anyone Amazing. leaders, kids unwed moms, older persons, new believers, right? All kinds of people. If anyone is caught, right? This is not that they have confessed to it. This is that that they have been nailed, right? They have been uh, uncovered. They have been seen. They have been spotted. We have noticed what they're doing. If anyone is caught in any, again, remember the Greek definition of, of anyone, it's very similar when you get to any, it means any. If anyone is caught in any transgression, which is a trespass of God's moral will, God says, don't do this, and the person does it. Or God says, do this, and the person fails to do it. If anyone's caught in any transgression, then there's a specific response that's required of Christians, then you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So let's think about the book of Galatians just a bit, and let's define what it means to be spiritual. Because that's kind of the key, isn't it? Those who are spiritual are obliged to do this. If you've been made right with God by the gospel, then you are not saved by works, but by the spirit. This is Christianity 101. This is by faith you have been saved, by grace, not through your own works. It's the gift of God, and you cannot boast. God has given you Righteousness before him. Galatians 3.1 says this. It is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. No human can say I am saved because I obeyed God's will perfectly. Talk more about that in just a second. We are saved because we believe in the message. Notice what it says, it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. What Paul is saying here is those who are righteous in God's sight are alive because of their faith. They believe in the message which God has pronounced, that righteousness comes through putting their faith and trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. That's how we receive life. The righteous are saved. The righteous live by their faith. They are alive because of their faith. And then later, we have another meaning put on that sentence, which is that those who are righteous will act and live according to their faith. They will live out the tenets of their faith. If we say that we have been saved by the Spirit, by grace, by the good news about Jesus coming to be our Savior and to substitute himself in our place and take our sins upon himself, that we might be freed from them. He's punished for our sins. And that means that a second punishment cannot be carried out. There's no need for it. The wrath of God is satisfied. And therefore, the sinner can say, my sins have been punished. And God credits the righteousness of Jesus to the believer. And therefore, the believer can say, I live by the works of Jesus for me by faith. If you've been saved by the spirit, by grace, by the gospel, then you are called to walk with the spirit. Galatians 5.16, I say walk by the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The spiritual ones are the ones who walk in the spirit and resist the desires of their flesh. They keep in step with the spirit. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. My wife is teaching Praise Factory. I never get that list right ever. Ever. She's always like, you forgot goodness or something, right? She's not here to witness it, that I I, I said it all right. Against such things there is no law. This is what Jesus is like, isn't it? Jesus lives by the Spirit, and all of these things are evident in perfection in his life. And he calls his people who have been forgiven of every wrong... Think about that. You have a a massive safety net under you when you are able to say that by the spirit you have been declared righteous in God's sight. That means that when you mess up and confess and ask for forgiveness, it flows easily. You are forgiven. Therefore, we are to attempt great and mighty acts of goodness and display this fruit of the spirit which the spirit is producing in us we're to imitate Jesus because on some level we cannot fail right because we have been forgiven everything therefore we can attempt anything and so we're called to live by the spirit now here's one of the amazing things about the British baking show right on that show the judges will go around, and, and they will say, what are you baking? And they'll say, a cherry pie. And the, 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 this, the, the judge will say, are you going to do this with your cherries? Right? And if they do that, you know that like, you'd better do that, or something's going to go wrong. And the, and the contestant will be like, no, I'm thinking I'm going to do this. And the judges are like, uh-huh, you sure you're not going to do that? Right? And then they walk off. And if they don't listen, disaster. So think about it. We have been told what the mission is here. And that is to display grace and kindness to all people as the followers of Jesus. So here's baking tip number one. Do what the judges tell you. And there is one judge. And that is God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he calls us to live this way for his glory and our joy. And so you can assemble a to-do list of a thousand things for your life. But this is the most important thing. We ignore it to our own frustration and sadness. Second tip, Paul points out that we're to remember our own weaknesses and not be arrogant. Remember, we're called to restore any who sin we're to work with them and care for them and love them in a spirit of gentleness and kindness the goal is to express love and grace to all that's a sign of our deep spirituality if we are walking with the spirit then paul says this keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted when it's you someday and you fail and you are seen or caught or you need to confess ask this question how do you want to be judged do you want to be judged with hardness or compassion I think every single one of us if we thought about our most extreme failure in life Our darkest moment, that thing, if everybody knew about it, we would just be so embarrassed. We would just shrink up, shrivel up in shame, and we'd never want to ever be seen by any other human ever again. None of us wants to be judged with harshness. Not one. We all want grace. Galatians 5.25 says this, If we live by the Spirit... If we receive life from the Spirit, then let's keep in step with the Spirit. You know what this is like, keeping pace with someone. Have you ever gone on a walk, right? You know, if you're trying to have a conversation, and they're walking super fast and walking ahead, right? You're kind of like, hey, slow down. Or if they're slowing down and you're speeding up, you're like, I have to adjust my speed, right? You know, keep in step with the Spirit. Stay with the Spirit. So the advice, the encouragement, the encouragement, Here in verse 26 of Galatians 5 is, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We're to look at others and to say, How would I like to be treated if that was me? Knowing that we have been shown grace by God and shown grace by others. Paul here is advising encouraging the people in the church that the way to win the competition, the way to to present something that passes the test is to live a life that shows the marks of helpfulness combined with gentleness, not haughtiness. And so we throw away our judgmental spirit and instead when we say that person path of their life is going wrong we say I must help them and I must do it in a way that shows care and not one that that's just throwing cold water on the fire of our relationship the stress here in this passage is on care not on punishment graciousness overflowing through love Well, that is the signature bake, and we move on to what's called the technical challenge. Uh, The the, the segment begins this way, where they they come in and they say, we have a daunting assignment for you, right? There's a technical challenge here, And, and so they have to make 16 perfect scones. Right? That's the way the British say it. They don't say scones, that's the way Americans say it. Scones, right? Or twenty-four breadsticks, or forty-eight crackers, you know, and they all need to be the same size, no variation in thickness, no burnt. They need to be they and then they go and they say, like, oh, if you're making pretzels, like they need to snap, and they need to be golden brown, and you need to make two kinds of pretzels a sweet pretzel and your standard like put mustard on it, salt pretzel, right? And they lay it out there, and then they always show the contestants, and the contestants are always like, I have never made a pretzel before in my entire life. It's, it's, there's the pressure in the drama, right? They give them an obscure recipe where, where most of the, uh, the directions are there, but some of the instructions are just a bit vague, and, and they need to rely on past skill or intuition to get through it. And then the judges or the, the, the hosts say, ready, set, bake, and then there's Chaos right? So look at the technical challenge here for Christians. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. On one of the episodes, the recipe says, prepare the cherries. And that's it. And the contestants are saying, do I wash the cherries? Do I chop the cherries? Like, do I need to dry them and flour them? Or do I need to roast them? Or do I need to soak them in something? Do I need to coat them in sugar? Or in, and put flour on them? And They have no idea, and so they're all using their instinct. Principles of good baking and, and lessons learned need to be in, in play there, not just following the inst- instructions, because the instructions are sometimes not entirely clear the principles there but the how too is not specifically laid out and so they're called to use wisdom and to do the right thing we are told to bear one another's burdens to fulfill the law of Christ and so we see that the law of Christ is faith working through love Jesus gives his law in one summary moment In his life in Matthew 22 someone gets up and says teacher which is the greatest commandment in the law and Jesus says you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the great and first commandment and I think the lawyers like oh okay thank you but then he says this and the second is like it you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Prior to being under the law of Christ, the Jews were told to pursue righteousness with God through the law of Moses. The law of Moses was known for its legal nature. Obey and receive life. And No one could do it. And then Jesus came and obeyed perfectly. God declares that his life is perfectly and utterly righteous. And that is why he can die for sinners. We are saved by his work. Once he accomplishes salvation for us, and we can look to him in faith to receive righteousness as a free gift, and we can say, I am righteous in the sight of God because of the work of Jesus. Once he accomplishes that for us, the nature of the law changes. And we are now under the law of Christ. And his law is known for its gracious nature. Do you see the complete and total change there? What's the greatest commandment? What's the one thing that I need to do in order to satisfy God? He says, love God and love others. That's the key to everything. Status and accomplishment mean nothing. It doesn't matter on this show if you have aced every challenge. If you fail and fail significantly, you are in danger of going home, right? That's the way the show works when the judging begins. Status and accomplishment mean nothing in the Christian life. Paul says he leaves behind everything to respond to the upward call and to obey God and to live out God's commands, intent and action mean everything. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 5, 6. In Christ Jesus, neither circumcision, that means being a Jew, nor uncircumcision, that means being a Gentile. Those things don't count for anything. But only, you want to to know what counts? Faith working through love. So here's this amazing discovery right? You watch other cooking shows and, and the, the contestants and judges let the contestants fail. They, 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 they hold back and then they let loose in judgment when the, when the prize is presented. What's amazing about this show is that the judges give constructive advice. They're like you should do this and they, and they help you know what else is amazing? The hosts, those two women, Mel and Sue, they help. They'll come along and they'll say, what are you struggling with? And, and the one lady will be like, I have to make chocolate and I have to do this and I have to do this. And they'll like start stirring for the contestants. And it's like, wait a minute, this doesn't happen. That's gracious, isn't it? And you know what else happens? The contestants help each other. I couldn't believe it. The first time I saw it, I'm like, man, TV shows are supposed to be survival of the fittest, right? You you are the best and therefore you win and you laugh as the competition falls because you are the best. No, they're like, oh, you need some help garnishing your cake? I'll mix this up for you. And you're like, what are you, aren't you trying to win? No, they're bearing each other's burdens. It's like, I'll tell you, the moment that, and this is not just this past week, it's the first time I was watching the show a couple months back. The first time I saw it, I was like, that's what the church is supposed to be like. It moved me to tears. I'm serious. I cry watching the Iron Giant. Like, I, I cry watching Empire Strikes Back. You know, I'm like, just listen to Master Yoda. What's wrong with you? But I think, like, man, why does the church shoot its own wounded sometimes? Why, why, when we see somebody struggling with life, do we say, they're no good, get them out? Instead of saying, we will help you, we will love you. And I'm not saying this has to happen immediately. Like, t- life is difficult, emotions are, are hard. Sometimes we go through a difficult phase in a period, but, but the story should end at some point with, with union and with care and community and love. Isn't this what we were created for? To love one another. We're to bear one another's burdens. The word used here for burden, and no tricky Greek translation uh, comment here. uh, The word burden represents what you might find in a wheelbarrow. You ever tried to move a, a, a wheelbarrow full of stuff? Maybe the the tire's just a little bit deflated. That's, like, fatal. If the tire is not, like, you know, on par, you're you're bouncing around a little bit. You hit a rock as you're going, and, and the whole thing goes over. We're to bear one another's burdens. That means we come along and we steady the wheelbarrow for each other. The, the excessive, unmanageable burden in our lives. There are a number of, of kinds of burdens. There are emotional burdens, dealing with, with heartbreak or grief or depression. We come alongside and we say, how can I help you? Dealing with physical difficulties. When somebody has a sickness, we come alongside and say, you can't cook for yourself anymore. Can't clean your house anymore. Can't come to church anymore. Can't, can't do this, can't do that. We will help you. We'll help you carry that burden. What can I do to serve you? There are financial burdens when, when a whole storm of things just collide and suddenly, like, I can't put food on my table. And the people of the church, instead of saying, like, you need to work harder, they say, we'll help you because this happens. And then there are spiritual burdens. Some people grapple with massive debilitating anxiety, insecurity, the fallout from past failures. You look at a passage like the one in 1 in Thessalonians where Paul says, encourage the faint. Do you notice what Paul doesn't say there? He doesn't say, tell the faint not to be faint. Trust Jesus and stop it. That's the way that, that we're like, I tried, I sent them a Bible verse, my text message, right? No, it's, a lot of it is just being there and caring and saying, I know, I know what it's like. Or saying to someone, you can get back up. Life has knocked you down, but you can get up and go again. Because Jesus is in you. You may feel weak, but we're called, Ephesians 6, 10, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, in my opinion, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. I can, I can rise again and go back at life. John Stott says this, human friendship in which we bear one another's burdens is part of the purpose of God for his people. So we should not keep our burdens to ourselves, but rather seek a Christian friend who will help bear them with us. Could this possibly be saying is that weakness is baked into the church and that we are there for one another and that you don't have to be perfect and have it all together in order to be a respected, valued, and cared for member of the community. And yet what we do is we hide our weaknesses out of shame and out of fear of judgment. Instead of saying to someone, can you help me? And so the principle is pretty simple here in the recipe, bear one another's burdens, which means give as much help as is needed to get the job done. Galatians 6.9, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in good season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Hank came home from school once with a little cup. You, if you're a parent, you know this, right? You know, cup, dirt, what's in the dirt? Seed little label that says, like, future sunflower or something, right, and uh, with a face on it, and uh, and so, so he says, I'm gonna go water it, right, and I'm like, okay, that's cool, yeah, you probably already watered, don't overwater it, right, and he goes into the bathroom, and I hear the water go on, and then it goes off, and then the water goes on again, and then it goes off, and then it goes on again, and then it goes off, and I go in there, and the cup is empty, (laughs) right, it takes time for that thing to grow, doesn't it? Like you can't just like apply as much water as possible and, and, then, and, and expect growth. Growth takes time. A little bit of water, a little bit of sun, right? A little bit of growth. A little more water, a little bit of sun. Folks, we are a whole lot more like plants than we are like machines. It's not like install the right software and the life will go well. As Christians, it's like we suffer a little, we learn, we grow and we're to be there with one another and patient and kind through it all and so let's not grow weary instead let's press into community together here's my advertisement for small group training please come Tuesday night it's coming you can mark it on your card and hand it to me please come but be part of community. By the way, yesterday's small group training was awesome. They suffered through my first time presentation and I'm going to tune it up. now it's going to be awesome. Sorry if you attended yesterday. Hopefully it was really good material. I, I was proud of it, but it's going to be better next time. Anyway, it's like baking, right? I'm, I got my'm working on my recipe here. Peter betrays Jesus and fails horribly and Jesus comes to him and fulfills the law of Christ. He comes to him and he asks him three times, Simon, do you love me? The third time he asks, it says Peter was grieved. He was ripped to the heart because he knew he was being confronted about the fact that he had boasted and said, I will never betray you, I will die for you. And then he failed horribly, horribly. You realize like Peter's life is in the New Testament, right? Like. If, if I were making that book up myself, I wouldn't let that be in there. I'd be like, oh, no, right? Like, and Keith was awesome. <laughs> Peter's failure is on display for the whole world, and Jesus restores him. Feed my sheep. Because he doesn't say, will you never deny me? Will you die for me? He says, do you love me? Community is enough for Jesus. All he can say is, you know, I love you. Jesus restores him. And says, feed my sheep. And he says to him, follow me. All right, I got to move. Showstopper, right? End of show. Impressive show of individual style. This is when it's like you are gonna make the world's wildest cookies, or you're gonna make a three-tiered wedding cake, right? You know, show us everything you got. We wanna see you in one single bake. Ready, set bake, right? And so they then go and cook. This is what Galatians 6, 4, and 5 say, but let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. Different word for load than burden. Burden, right? Wheelbarrow. Load, backpack. This is what you got to carry yourself. There are some dangers, in 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 living the Christian life because we're called to to live a life on display for the Lord and serve him and it's not like we don't see in the Bible it say hey don't worry about your holiness because you're saved by grace. We're told to 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 run the race with endurance, right? We're told to obey, we're told to follow. And so we have we have a mission to accomplish here. It's not to earn God's affection or to stay saved, or anything like that. It's it's that God has said, live this way, and we're supposed to say, yes, I'm going to do that. This is our race to run. The dangers here is that we can become self-deceived, and we can say, I'm doing just fine, and be critical of the flaws of others, and compassionate towards our own. So he says, test your own work. John Calvin, everyone exalts the self in his own estimation and proudly despises others. The second possible error is that we could get engaged in comparison to think that because someone is not doing as well as we are in some particular category that that means that we are somehow better. The the moments I just have, I have so little respect for the contestants on The the Great British Baking Show when when they disobey the fundamental programming of the show and they start looking at other people's creations and they're like, well, they'll probably go home, I'll stay. Because even though mine is bad, my bad is better than their bad. Comparison. I'm like, send her home. She needs to leave. You know, don't, don't taint up my show with, with your self-focus. Help one another. Love one another. And so, as Christians, we're called to replace conceit of ourself with concern for others. Maybe you need to pray for a heart that doesn't boast. I actually think I'm pretty great. And sometimes that's a huge problem. Because there are times where I get in the way of of what I'm supposed to do. Replace compassion, or sorry, replace comparison with compassion. Pray for a heart that breaks with care for others. One that doesn't say, well, I would have never done that. I guess maybe they'll learn from hard times. Galatians 5.13 says, you were called to freedom, brothers. You are absolutely free. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for, fle- for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You want to obey the law, the gracious law of Christ, perfectly? Here it is. It's, it's right there. It's simple, but it's not easy. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. The question that we are to ask ourselves is not did you put on a perfect performance, but did you live by principles of grace? Did you do your best? Not did you do better than others? Not are you able to twist yourself into a mental pretzel and to say, oh, you know, I somehow can forgive my way of living and judge theirs did you do your best did you and if you haven't confess and adjust and if you have then rest in grace Paul says that each man is to boast in himself alone and not in his neighbor Matthew Henry I call him the Christian fortune cookie guy he says like amazing amazingly uh, pithy stuff right? It's, it's, it's good. I don't know that this is quite pithy, but this is what he says. The glorying of which this passage treats, right? This is the confidence in yourself. You're going you're gonna to glory in yourself here. He says, is that of a good conscience in which the Lord allows his people to indulge and which Paul elsewhere expresses in very animated language. What he's saying here is that when we look at our work, when we look at the way that we tried to help or care for someone, we say, "Lord, I, I, I didn't know the whole situation. I tried to do my best, I tried to bear their burden for them, tried to love them, tried to restore them with gentleness. And you're going to be the judge of my work." He says, "You are able to say, I, "I did what I could, and my confidence is in you, and my conscience is clear. Acts 23.1, Paul looks to the council and he says, I have lived my life before God in all good conscience up to this day. Is Paul saying he's perfect? No, he couldn't, and neither can any of us. But we can say my conscience is clear and that I've sought to love in the way that I can and that I've asked for forgiveness when I've gone wrong. 2 Corinthians 1.12, our boast is this, the testimony of Our conscience that we behaved in the world with simplicity and godly sincerity, not by earthly wisdom, but by the grace of God and supremely so toward you. This is thankfulness toward God for his grace, not boasting in and of ourselves, saying, hey, God showed me, I attempted to meet that need with resources given to me in a way that I believe would honor God and serve you with love, and that's all that I can do. Did you do your best? Yes. Okay, then. As Christians in the church, are we in competition with one another? May it never be. Are we in competition as a church with other churches? No. Unless they're totally wrong on everything important and they're like, you know, they've got nothing to do with Jesus or the gospel. We're in competition with those churches. We're like, hey, come on over here where the gospel is. We'd love to have you. Anyway, different sermon. Are we in competition with one another? No. With different gifts, with different challenges, at different stages of growth and skill, we have been entrusted to one another that we might cooperate together, together as a family, that we might care, that we might communicate the love of God to a watching world and a connected church, that we are people that live for Jesus and have been shown the grace of God. And we show that grace by showing grace. At the end of the show, they give out Star Baker to somebody, and then they send somebody else home, but we're not sending anybody home uh, because hopefully we are home, right? The Star baker is the one in God's estimation who truly follows without knowing the entire path. And so we look at the life of Peter and what he did with his life. We know that he went on and he led the church with strength and wisdom and that he wrote books of scripture and that he raised up Mark who Paul had rebuked and abandoned uh, as, as somebody who was not worthy to go on a missionary journey. And, 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 and Peter loved him and, and did much good for the church, but he had to learn to focus only on himself and his Lord as Jesus says, follow me to Peter after he's forgiven him, it says in John 21, 20, Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John following him. The one who also had leaned back against him during the supper and said, Lord, who is it's going to betray you? That's, that's, that's John. When Peter saw this disciple, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about that guy? Right? Peter tells, is told by Jesus that you're going to suffer. You may you may die following me. You may you you're going to be uh, uh, taken someplace you don't want to go. Your your path is going to involve an incredible amount of sacrifice. And Peter then looks at John and says, "What about him?" And this is Jesus' response: "If it's my will that he lives until I recur- return, what's that to you? You follow me. You do your best." Connection and care within the church is not a sign of weakness. It's a sign of our need for obedience to God. It's a sign of our need to care for one another. When weakness shows up in our church, when sin is shown, it is a call to arms that we might react with compassion and care and love others. And so here is my question to you. Will you be part of building that? I pray that you will. I pray that we would see God's will and his glory displayed in our midst. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for your kindness and grace towards your church. We pray that in all things, as you have given us the proper ingredients to be a proper church, we pray that we would say you are the boss. And we will do as you have said, not because we're terrified of you, but because you are good and kind and we love you. And so we pray that we would rejoice in your commands and we would rejoice at the opportunity to love and that we would then be about the business of care and connection and that the world would watch and say, that is truly something amazing. Father, we pray that we would do this not for our own praise, not for some earthly prize, but for the pronouncement of well-done, good, and faithful servant. For your glory and for our joy, we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.